be honest uh, with you, I, I think I have some OCD issues. Issues don't admit that they have a lot, lot just like kind of a little, but most people with OCD issues don't admit that they have a lot, do they? Um, mainly around the building. It's, it's not a lot of things, but since moving into the building, I find myself paranoid about stuff that messes up the building. Um, carpet stains and uh, they put the carpet in and then the subcontractors started driving lifts in here to work on the lights and I thought I was going to kill them. When, uh, they wore their boots in here. They wore their boots on our carpet. Like you can't take your boots off when you work. Um, I, I threatened our AV guys because they were in here with lifts all the way. I, I probably told them a hundred times, don't mess up our carpet. Like don't scratch the walls. Be careful when you're carrying stuff. Don't scuff the hallway. Just can you be careful? Like don't drag things across the floor. I need you to really be, don't breathe real heavily on anything. It's um, the first the first thing we had in the building, sort of collectively, was before our first Sunday, we had a, a, a gathering, a breakfast for our volunteers. And we were all in here. It's like we were just getting started. We were just kind of uh, opening the day and what we were going to do. And two people spilled coffee in here. And we had like 100 people, and I'm supposed to be the pastor, so I couldn't say what I wanted to say to those two people at that moment. But put lids on your coffee. All right, don't, don't mess up our plate because we know that adults are worse than kids when it comes to spilling stuff, right? It's not the kids. It's like us adults who keep, who keep spilling stuff. I, I, I may have picked up a carpet cleaner and steam mop for the church yesterday at Walmart. Possible. It's possible. And look, I'm not trying to make you paranoid. Right? I know it's me. It's, I know these are my issues, unless you're the one spilling coffee, then that's you. That's all you. I know these are my issues. I'm trying to work through them. I'm, I'm trying to breathe deeply and handle these. But you've, you've been this way before, right, with new shiny stuff. Like if you've ever moved into a new home, even if it wasn't new, new, if it was new to you, if it was your new home, you had some of that, all right? At least one, at least mom or dad, somebody had that Hey, be careful. Don't take drinks in the living room. This is brand new. We don't want to mess anything up. You've, you've had that. You got a new car one time, new to you at least, and you didn't let anybody eat in it for six to 12 months. You washed it every day. You vacuumed it out all the time. You were, you, you were a freak about your new car. You, you've been there. Don't look at me like I'm weird. Like You've been there too, which is kind of different. It's kind of contrast to stuff that we have, but it's not really ours, like rental stuff, not like lease to buy, not like I'm renting and buying it, but true, I'm only renting this, like this isn't mine. When you go to the beach in the summer and you rent the condo, it's nice. I mean, you don't destroy it, hopefully, like, you know, you don't go all 80s hairband in there, like, you know, you, you take care of it, but you're not renovating the inside of the beach condo that you're going to be in for one week. We've all rented houses before or apartments before, and you take care of it. You want to get the deposit back, right? You want to do just enough to get your deposit back. But if you're renting something and the colors don't work for you, like, you don't repaint the rental, 
you think I can live with this for 12 months? Like, I, I can make this work. Julie and I uh, rented a couple of times. There's really kind of maybe two reasons that you rent. One is because you know you're in an area where you're not going to buy. We've been in that situation before. I told you we moved to Texas early in our marriage. And we knew there's a pretty good chance we weren't spending the rest of our life in Texas. Right? So we rented the whole time. Took care of places, but we didn't do any big renovations. The other time that you rent is when you know you're going to buy, but you're just not ready to buy yet. We've, we've been through that as well. 2006, 2007, we sold a home that we owned, owned in Covington, and it sold much faster than we expected. Um, so some of you have been there. It's just like you turn around and you realize you're homeless. You've got to go somewhere because somebody's coming to your place, and you've got to get out, and you have nowhere to go. And so we did the real fast. Let's look everywhere really fast, see if we can find a place, see if we can find a new, a new home. And we couldn't find anything. So finally, after two weeks of this, we said, look, let's take a deep breath. We buy anything. And so we did. We rented for like a year, found what we wanted, price range we wanted, place we wanted, all those sort of things. And we moved in. But the truth is, when it's not yours forever, when it's not yours long term, you just view it differently. Like you, you take care of it a little bit differently. You, you, you don't get attached if it's not a really, really long-term forever sort of thing. We've been talking about this concept of home and the fact this is our new home. Right? And I'm a little bit crazy over it. Right? This is our new home. We're settling in. It's, it's starting to get comfortable. It's, it's feeling like ours, which, which is great. So two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we want this place to be somewhere that people can come home to. Like people who are far from God or don't know much about God or, or haven't cared about God in a really long time. Or maybe they've run away from God. They, they, they just went way out and, and sort of left God behind. We wanted this to be a place where they could come back home if they wanted. And they could, they could learn of God and, and maybe learn to love God or maybe learn to love God again. We want to be that sort of home. And, and then last week, we talked about how between's kind of an odd place to call home, but Jeremiah, way back in the Old Testament, he told God's people, where you are, make it home. Like, settle down, live there, live your life and do good. That was the phrase we, we said. Live your life, like where you are. God's got you there for a reason. Maybe it's not where you plan to be, but you're there. And so settle down, make it home, and do good. We we use the phrase, God has a future and a hope for us, even if our future isn't what we hope for. Even if we didn't land where we thought we were going to land, like God can still make it home. And if you miss those, they're online. You can listen to those. As we wrap up this series, I want to I give another perspective on this home idea. It doesn't cancel out the first two. Hopefully it adds to the first two. But I just want to offer an idea about home as, as maybe a balance to where we've been. Something else to keep in mind. And, and it's this idea. For the follower of Jesus, nowhere in this world will ever completely be home. I think we've got to hang on to that thought as well as the other two. That we are, and we'll see how the Bible uses this language in just a minute. We are, we should be, we will always be strangers in this, in this world. This isn't home home for us. 
This isn't forever home for us. And yeah, we're going to settle down and we're going to do good and, and we're going to work for the... We're going we're to look to solve the community that we live in, the, the country that we live in, the world that we live in. We're going we're to look to solve problems and, and be hope and be light. But we also have to remember that this is temporary. This isn't forever home. There's another home that's coming and we have to live in this home in light of that home. We have to make decisions in this world in light of the world that's to come. I want to go to uh, a New Testament book. Uh, it's close to the end of the Bible. It's the book of Hebrews. It's uh, about 13, 14 chapters. So it's pretty good size. You can find it if you start from the back of your Bible. The book of Hebrews, I, I normally try to introduce books by telling you who wrote it and what the situation was. The truth is we don't know who wrote this book. Uh, people have guesses, and maybe you have some guesses. I'd be happy to talk to you about what your guess is after the service. People have guesses as to who wrote Hebrews, but there's no agreement about who wrote this little book. But it, it's a fascinating book. It's filled with incredible thought and belief and, and, and words that really shape our doctrine, our theology, our belief. Some of them are really challenging. Uh, some of the wording is really challenging depending on sort of your background uh, in, in church and in, and in faith and in, in religion. I've thought a couple of times about preaching through this book because there's so much good stuff in it or preaching through sections of it. When I was in seminary, uh, I had the privilege of studying this particular book one semester, a whole semester just on this book with... Uh, one of the most beloved professors in, at our school, uh, at Southwestern Seminary, is a guy by the name of Dr. Jack McGorman. And Dr. McGorman was probably around 80 years old when I took this class from him, just full of grace and full of compassion and just an incredibly tender heart. But this vast reservoir of wisdom just flowed out of Dr. McGorman uh, every, every class. He was so loved that when, when Southwestern renovated their huge chapel, they named it for him in memory of Dr. McGorman. Um, I was thinking about that class yesterday and thinking about sitting under Dr. McGorman. And I went down to the basement and in about five minutes, I found my notebook from that class. I'm, uh, I'm not a hoarder or anything. Um, <laughs> And you shouldn't call people names like that. But I, it's just I could find my notebook that I used 25 years ago. So I, I don't keep stuff. But I found our laptop. And for those, of you, for those of you under the age of like 25, this was our laptop 25 years ago. Like, this is where we kept notes and we wrote things down. And it was fantastic. Dr. McGorman... Um, impressed upon us two themes in the book of Hebrews. One of them is Jesus is better than. Like the whole book just says, oh, Jesus is better than that. And we used to do it that way. Jesus is better than that. And we used to sort of count on sacrifices. Jesus is better than that. And he's better than Moses. And he's better than the, the priest. And he's better than, the, like Jesus is better than everything. You read the book of Hebrews and that's what you find. Jesus is just better than everything. But the other theme that Dr. McGorman introduced to us early, early on in, um, in this class was that Hebrews is about the idea that faith is pilgrimage. Faith is a journey. 
Faith is going from one place to the other place. And faith, faith is not about getting settled somewhere in your faith. It's, it's not about getting settled somewhere and walking with Jesus. Faith is always about God saying, come on, let's, let's keep going. Let's learn more. Let's grow deeper. Let's discover more about who God is. Let's walk closer to Jesus. Let's risk more. Let's be more daring. Let's take on a new adventure. Let's take on a new calling. Let's help somebody else. Let's, let's minister to the broken. Let's just keep stepping forward. That's what this, this book is all about. And, and not just a pilgrimage here in this world, but a pilgrimage from this world to the next world. That idea that sometimes we used to use in churches, the idea of we're just passing through. Like, don't get too attached here. Like don't get too settled in here. Because here's not going to last forever. We're on our way to somewhere else that's going to last forever and ever and ever. And the decisions that we're making and the actions that we're taking and the risk that we're engaged in, they all need to be in light of the fact that this isn't home home. This isn't forever home. This isn't where we're going to stay always. Hebrews chapter 11 is... The most well-known of all the passages in the book of Hebrews, and maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, that's fine if you haven't, but, but if you know anything about Hebrews, this is the spot that you know, because it's a description of great people of faith, men and women, and how they lived, what faith looked like. In their life. And so he's, he's giving examples like Abel and Enoch. And then he gets to this huge Old Testament character, a guy by the name of Abraham. This is, he would go to a place he would lay nine. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. So there it is. Faith is pilgrimage. Faith is a journey. And, and literally for Abraham, he moved from one location where all of his family was. And God said, no, I want you to follow me. I want you to go on a journey with me. And I'll tell you when we get there. You don't know how to get there. I'm going to tell you how to get there. So just follow me. And we're going to go on this journey together. And Abraham obeyed. Abraham took the risk. Abraham entered into the adventure and followed after God. And, and that's what you're going to find if you follow Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes we get tired, just physically, emotionally, even spiritually. Sometimes we get tired of the challenges that God puts in front of us. And there's that little part of us, maybe it's a big part for some of us, that just says, God, can I just rest for a little while? Like, can, I, can, can I just get a break? Like, Can we get, just press pause? Do I have to keep moving forward and accepting new challenges? When am I, get, am I going to get to just coast in the spiritual life? And the answer is the same every time. Never. Like When you die. When you die, then God's going to stop challenging you to keep growing. But until then, God's going to keep saying, come on, come on. There's something new. There's a new way to grow. There's a new thing to learn. There's a new action to take. And that's what Abraham found. He met a God who said, come on, let's go. Let's take a journey together. We have a little bit of the same wording from Jeremiah in the phrase, by faith, Abraham made his home 
in the promised land. He settled down there. He made a home, just like Jeremiah told the people. But there's this other piece of commentary that the writer of Hebrews adds, and it's this phrase, like a stranger in a foreign country. Yeah, he made his home there, but he knew it wasn't really home. It wasn't like home home. It wasn't forever home. It wasn't like this is the end all be all. This is where I'm settling down. It wasn't that sort of thing. He made his home there because God had put him there. God had placed him there and had something for him to accomplish. But still in the back of Abraham's mind, he knew, I'm passing through. Like this isn't forever and forever. I've got another home that's coming. A few verses later in verse 13, the author writes, All these people, in other words, all of Abraham's family, like everybody who went with him, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Like They were still stepping forward. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Abraham knew this isn't, this isn't everything here. And so he knew not to get too attached to here because a permanent home was coming later. The, the writer of Hebrews even tells us he lived in tents. It wasn't permanent. Like he lived there, he made it home, but he didn't get too attached to this life, preferring to look ahead to the next life, which is what God's called us to do. That's not to say we're all supposed to live in tents. Right? It's not, that's not to say we're supposed to sell all of, our, uh, all of our possessions and give away all our money and, and not think about the future. It's not saying that at all. But it is suggesting there's got to be this attitude among people of faith that exhibits itself in the way they live by not getting too attached to stuff. Not getting too attached to what I see in front of me because I know what I don't see is coming in the future. It's just an admission that here is not ultimately home. Here's good. And God blesses here, and God does great things here, and God's going to use us here. But here is not ultimately home. Therefore, I've got to make decisions. I've got to live my life thinking about my real home. Paul says it this way at one point in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, you're going to build a life. You're going to build a building. You're going to build a home is sort of his metaphor. You're going to build a life and you're going to build it either on things that last or things that fade away. And Paul's metaphor is gold and silver, not like in a monetary sense, not in like get all the money you can. He's comparing what's valuable and lasting and what's not value, valuable and is going to pass away. So Paul says, look, in your life, you're going to build it on the really, really valuable. Gold and silver is the metaphor. Are you going to waste it on what Paul describes as wood, hay, and stubble? Like stuff's just going to burn up. Stuff's going to blow away, stuff that's not going to matter, stuff that has no value whatsoever. If you're attached to this world, then what you do is going to fade away one day. Jesus used the, uh, the metaphor of building on rock versus building on sand. You're building a life on things that are going to matter and hold up and are going to really, really last. Or you're building a life on things that are going to fade away. And in the book of Hebrews, we're reminded Abraham knew 
everything in this world's going to fade away. I better not get too attached. I better look at resources. I better look at life. I better look at relationships. I better look at stuff through the lens of the life that is to come. That's what Abraham did. The, the author tells us in verse 10, for Abraham, he, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. It didn't matter the tent that he lived in. It didn't matter his surroundings because his eyes weren't on here. His eyes was on there. A few verses later in, in verse 11, uh, the author writes, People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. In other words, people who are ready to admit, I'm just a stranger here, I'm just a foreigner here, I'm just passing through. Like if that's your mentality, then they show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Like Their eyes were on I'm going somewhere lasting. I'm going somewhere forever. So why would I live for this world if I'm going to spend forever in that world? Those type of people see certain things in their life. Certain things happen in their life. In this world. One of those things. Those type of people live boldly in this world. They live boldly. Like they, they live daring. They accept the adventure that God offers them. They're not attached to this world. And so they have the answer of yes frequently. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll try that. Yes, I'll step out and do that. When, when you read chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, you find name after name and story after story of people who risked greatly and sometimes suffered greatly because they did not think this world was all there was. They believed a lasting home was coming. And so when it came time to take a risk or take a step or move into an adventure, their answer was, yeah, of course I'll do that. Because I'm living for the next home. I'm living for the next life. I am willing to do that. In, in chapter 10, the chapter right before this one, the author's been describing how the people of faith had endured so much. How they had hung in there. How they had faced struggles. In the very last verse of chapter 10, he writes... But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. He's including himself in these people of faith. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Like we, because we believe, because we know God's preparing another place for us, when hardships come, we don't shrink back. Like when opportunities come, we don't shrink back. When there's brokenness that we need to step into, we don't shrink back because we don't think this world is all there is. We think that we're living for the next world, and that gives us courage. It gives us boldness. It's what faith is all about. The first verse of chapter 11 defines faith in this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for 
and assurance about what we do not see. These people, they don't shrink back because they are convinced that God is who He says He is and that God has prepared for us what He says He's prepared for us, a new home, an eternity with Him. And that's what matters most. They're convinced of that. It's the idea of having substance. Like it wasn't just a wish. It wasn't just like I really hope that's true. It was like substance, like a, there's a real city coming one day. There's a real place coming one day. There's a real eternity coming one day, and I'm convinced of it, not some blind faith, like logical, reasoned belief that this world didn't just happen by itself, that life didn't just pop out of nothing, that the physical world didn't just magically appear out of absolutely nothing, that there is someone guiding and directing, not only starting all of this, but he's going to bring all of it to its rightful end, and we're going to spend eternity with him. The people who lived boldly, they believed that. They were committed to that. Like They were convinced. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a made-up story. This is true, and it freed them up to let go of this world and live for the next world. It freed them up from having to get more stuff down here and get attached to more things down here and to live boldly for what's coming, for what's going to be and what is going to be forever and ever and ever. Their faith wasn't just some belief. It's what drove them to act. I mean, that's what faith really is. That's kind of the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, faith is they were committed, but let me tell you what happened because they were committed. Unbelievable things happened. They were brave and bold and courageous and daring and adventurous because they believed, they acted. Now, we're in the Bible. Is faith just a belief system? Or in the Bible, is faith just a, yeah, I think I agree with that. Faith is a conviction that motivates me to live a certain way, that motivates me to take certain action, that motivates me to risk everything for the life that is to come. And that's been the history of our faith. So read chapter 11 and you'll see. Abel and Enoch and Joseph and Noah and Moses and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. How do we know they had faith? Because they lived it. Because they risked it. They lived boldly in this world. And secondly, they saw God do the miraculous because they were willing to live boldly. Because they didn't shrink back. They saw God do unbelievable things. Just one example is given to us in verse 12. So speaking about Abraham, the author writes... And so from this one man, and he as good as dead. That's like honest writing in the New Testament. I, I, I like that line. And he as good as, as dead. Like this dude was old. Like you cannot imagine how old this guy was. He should have been dead by now. What happened should not have happened. What I'm about to tell you, it should not have happened biologically, scientifically. This should not have happened. But this was a man of faith who lived bold, daring life. And this is what happened. From one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. 
People who live boldly in faith, they see God do the miraculous. They see God do the incredible. And hundreds of years later, the writer of Hebrews is saying, like, we're still inspired by that. Like, we are still encouraged by something that happened hundreds of years ago. We weren't even there when it happened. We didn't see it happen. But we are still inspired to live bold lives because of what they did. And 2,000 years after this was written, we're in a room in Georgia inspired by the fact that there were men and women thousands of years ago who dared to live for the next life more than this life, who dared to attach their heart and their hopes and their actions and their dreams to what was to come, not what was right in front of them. How awesome would it be if a hundred years from now, there's a group of people that are still inspired by what we do. A hundred years from now, there are people who are still motivated and encouraged and willing to risk because of our story. Because we took the next life even more seriously than we take this life. We attached our hope to what is to come, not what is right in front of us. What if a hundred years from now, they're saying those people lived their faith and we are still encouraged by it. What would it take? What sort of reprioritizing of life and resources and energy and goals and hopes and dreams would it take for us to live this way? To boldly live for the home that is to come, not the ones we're in right now. And what would we see God do if we lived like this? Let's pray. God, we have such vivid stories of men and women who so understood this world's not our home. This world's not it. Don't get too attached here. Don't try to accumulate as much resources as you can here. Because it's wood, hay, and stubble here. It's gold and silver if you live for there. God, our, our faith, it is a pilgrimage. It's a walk with you. And here this morning, you're calling all of us to take another step, to make another move, to say yes, because we believe that what we see is not all there is, that there is more, there is better to come. And we should live for it. I pray it in Jesus' name.